The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Co-working spaces can be great little communities. There's something exciting and energising about being around people making interesting things happen. Always new people with exciting news, connections you can make, and a lot of people working on a global level. They're also little bubbles, and can help you forget that life isn't like that everywhere. In fact, even having co-working spaces available isn't all that common, even within your own city. One person who saw the power of community and worked to make a space happen for South Auckland is Manawa Yudi. Last year, she spearheaded the crowdfunding and then establishment of Nahiri Communities that runs Te Hao Manako, a co-working space and intentional community for the creative, innovative, entrepreneurial people of South Auckland to help tap that vast potential. Te Hao Manako is a project from the Southern Initiative, supported by AT through Grid AKL, and is built to be a thriving heart and link to the wider innovative business space. Manawa has a background of pioneering community entrepreneurship projects such as a buy-one-give-one model driving school and forming the Peter Collective, a community of community providers to better serve the people around Mount Roskill. And as a creative director at Bob and Bob, Manawa tells these stories and others day in, day out. To chat entrepreneurship and community, Manawa joins us now. Kia ora, thank you very much for being here. Kia ora, Simon. Thanks for having me. Hey, so tell me... How did you come to be involved uh, with all of these community entrepreneurship projects? Because you you first studied in photography, hey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was never really intentional. Um, but I suppose coming from photography, that was my first kind of touch with entrepreneurship. Um, I moved, I studied photography. I grew up in Rotorua, moved to Palmerston North, studied photography down there and really got into the commercial side of photography and then moved to Auckland to kind of pursue that career. But pretty quickly um, realised that the passion I had for photography didn't come through in the, in the commercial sense. Um, so when I started trying to commercialise my skill in photography, I realised that I didn't actually like it. I liked it as a hobby. But that was kind of my first touch with entrepreneurship. Um, I ended up moving into, over time, like I did a whole bunch of um, youth leading, youth mentoring and stuff like that, working in kind of youth development Um and then I ended up in a role with Auckland Council where I was working at a brand new youth centre called Roscoe Youth Zone. And it was in probably in that time where I started to see, I guess, some of the, the very real needs that a lot of the young people in some of our tougher communities have. You know, like you have kids that are hanging out 
every day after school and all throughout the weekend and there's, you can see so much that they don't have but I guess for me I always choose to see what people do have and entrepreneurship for me is kind of like taking what you do have and turning it into what you need and while I was at Roscoe Youth Zone we started to do that with the young people and it kind of looked like things like um, showing the kids how they could use a lawnmower to make 50 bucks to spend in the school holidays or how to make some cookies and package them really nicely and sell them off as Christmas gifts so that they had some cash for their own Christmas and it started off in little things like that and just continued to grow and we ended up setting up along with a awesome team of kind of young adults we set up a cafe within the in the youth centre called uh, Roscoe Coffee Project which ran for a couple of years which is a really awesome cafe that also had a youth training element within it. Um, we set up a screen printing kind of area which turned into a screen printing business for one of the local young guys and we set up like with the gym area that we had we started to get young people to do um, personal training sessions so we were always looking for ways for young people to kind of use what we had and the skills that they had to turn it into the things that they needed and that was kind of the start for me and it just kept growing from there. Are those easy things to do in a sector that, that you, you know, like people often just have like lines in their head, like community work is just community, there's nothing commercial and, you know, entrepreneurship's just entrepreneurship. Is it easy to be blending things like that? Nah, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is. Even now it's, it's a constant challenge because you don't only have the challenge of commercialising something, you have the challenge of building and developing people um, and they're both really complex things. Oh, no, commercialism is probably simpler, to be honest, um, but supporting people. But I think it comes from, for me, it comes from a genuine heart to see people thrive and to, like, I'm really passionate about people getting ripped off and people not reaching their potential. And so I think that's what really drives me, makes it kind of all worthwhile. And how do you build these structures out within these organisations that allow you to do that? Is it something like... Um, you, you know, you, you've set up and run quite a few things yourself. How do you go through a process of winning the support and, you know, creating the space to be able to do these projects? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, within that context of Ruskell Youth Zone, the, the thing that we had was a building and my time was paid for. So that's a big part of the overheads that, that you would generally have to take on. And then on top of that, we had a, a little programming budget and we had people like, say, the Ministry of Youth Development or kind of community trusts and stuff that also have little pockets of funding that can add on to it. So I don't know, I think that's what I love about it is finding ways to be innovative with those little bits and pieces that you do have. Um, And also just like always responding to what the need is from the people you're actually working with. Like the young people, like they're constantly just, they want some food or like they want the latest kicks or, you know, it's, it's real simple stuff that they want. Um, and it breaks your heart to see time and time again that they can't have that when you think, like, it's not that far out of reach for them. And in terms of, like, creating those those roles for people, I guess that the kids seeing you living the entrepreneur's life, like finding pots of funding and coming up with things to do, set an example that they can follow as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, like, kind of part of my nature. And in Māori, there's a term called hautotu, which is pretty much someone that just touches and plays with everything, like... You just can't keep still and you always want to figure out how things work or touch everything. And I feel like 
being a hustler or being an entrepreneur is a little bit like that and it satisfies that within me where I can let's try this and let's try that and don't worry about how far it's going to go like let's just and I think that was the cool thing about that little testing ground is it it never really had any big like you didn't have to get big financial returns that it was the social outcomes that that were most important and even then within the context of a building the outcomes were based on how many people were using it are people using it is it helping the community so it was really in that sense it was really simple to achieve what you needed to achieve it's I think now that the difference is it now has to be financially sustainable the things that we're doing at Te Hau Monaco and stuff like that I feel like it's a bigger game now um, but the principles are still the, the, still the same Tell me about the driving school the uh, Pukata Papa driving school the buy one give one model Yeah cool so PCDS Pukata Papa community driving school so that's based in Mount Ross School um, on Sandringham Road extension um, so we man so over the years that I worked at Auckland Council, and then after I left Auckland Council, I continued to work in this community uh, with the Peter Collective. Uh, one of the biggest needs that we saw in that community was people wanting and needing driver's licences. And there was kind of this kind of understanding within community work that the way that you bring people in was put food on. And food was the thing that would always attract people. We um, we started to get little pockets of funding to help with driver licence training, just at the learner level, so driver theory. And we, we saw that that was like, it was a bigger pull than food. Like it was consistently oversubscribed. There were long waiting lists. Um, and then we, like as a collaborative or as a collective within Peter Collective, the whole idea with that is that within a community, let's look at how we can work together better to get the outcomes. And so like I said, driver's licensing came through as a thing that was that was high priority. And at that time, there was something like nine different organisations trying to do the same thing, trying to run like, Lunar driver training programs inside what they already do without really being experts in it but everyone just knew that's what people wanted so we kind of took a step back and said let's let's have a look at overall like why the need is there and what we can do to respond to it in a, in a much better way because we could see the funding was going to run out soon it always runs out eventually excuse me um so we got those guys together. So my role in that was essentially to bring everyone together and start discussing that and designing a really cool collaborative response to it. Um, and there was one lady who named Honey who at that time was the manager of the Migrant Action Trust and she was all about it. She was like, honestly, like we need to do a driving school. This is this is what I think the answer is. And so we, we kind of just worked that concept together and we pulled all these different people in. And the most I remember the most amazing part that happened is we brought everyone together and sat them around the table. We had... A guy who ran a, a education trust and one of his main education programs was driver's licensing. We had the manager of the local community centre. We had the managers of some local trusts. We had people from Auckland Council. Um, and pretty much what happened is they all sat around the table and explained to each other what their role was and what their need was within driver's licensing. And as they did that, they could all see that if they worked together, they had everything that they needed. So that's how kind of how the, the driving school came through. Then the whole idea of meshing together the social impact. So the, the demand came mostly from young people and from ethnic women. So that was in, in Mount Roscoe where those are both huge populations. Um, so by bringing all of those people together, we then had to look at financially how could this be longer term than just the first pocket of funding that we're going to get. So that was when we developed more of a, a business model behind it. And looking at like driving skills are businesses out there standalone businesses as they are so why don't we just look at that model look at some of the things that have happened around New Zealand and do a bit of a hybrid 
Um, so the way that the the way that the school works is that the the aim is to be a competitive driving school, provide really quality lessons and support for people, um, and then using some of the money that comes from that to help subsidise others. Um, as part of the the program, we have community driving mentors, so people from around the community, including the local police and all those kinds of people, they come in and they do. Uh, training hours with people. So those are people going from learners to restricted. They need a certain amount of hours and people to help them out on the roads. So we have, um, I think within the first 12 months, we had like 40 community driving mentors. We trained up a couple of locals that had um, to have the what's called an eye endorsement, which means essentially they have the qualification to, what do you call it, to the like, qualified driving instructors so they know what they're doing. Um, and then... On top of that, there's like in the back, there's a bunch of funding that comes through to help support specific groups. So it might be, you know, here's $10,000 to help ethnic women or here's $5,000 to help refugee young people and stuff like that. So that kind of helps subsidise in the back end as well. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit complicated, but it's also really, really exciting. Yeah, and, and so cool to have built something that's got kind of like a buy one, give one model in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Creating jobs and solving like a, a, a hole in the community, which is like how can people get their licences? And, you know, the, the absolute traps around fines and fees for people without licences are a disaster. So a huge thing to have impact on. Yeah, and not only that, like a lot of the things that we see is like a lot of, especially some of the Māori and Pacific young people, sometimes a driving offence is their first touch with the justice system and it just snowballs from there. So being able to stop that, like just giving them the legal compliance they need to be on the road is really huge. Um, yeah, another but, big driver was employability. So for some people they don't have a licence and that can that can sometimes be the thing that gets you employed on top of not getting employed. And then around the ethnic woman stuff like, it's really interesting to see how having a driver's licence and being confident on the road helps them settle in, in New Zealand and helps them find connection and also opens up opportunities for them. So it's, it's been super interesting to see the impact of just a simple driver's licence on people's lives. And also that thinking of creating something sustainable that lasts past the endless funding rounds where you yeah, keep yeah. going back to the same places and spend more time reporting than than doing sometimes. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's such a cool thing. And and then, like, so with that work with the council and having set these programs up, tell me a little bit about how you came to set up Nahiri Communities. Yeah, so I um, I spent five years working at Auckland Council, um, and I, so I have quite a creative background. I love photography. I, I still loved photography. Um, and I, I personally was getting a little bit frustrated with the nine-to-five lifestyle, um, and, and kind of had enough of the bureaucracy of Auckland Council. I felt it wasn't really my fit. Um, and I felt to me the next step was to finally like take the step and step out there and use the skills that I have, like I keep saying, um, to live the life that I want to live. And that was kind of where I started. And that was where I started Bob and Bob Creative, which essentially is um, like impact storytelling, helping people tell the stories of impact that they're making using today's digital platforms. Um, and so based in South Auckland, started up this business, was working from home alongside um, one of my best mates and that was going really well. We started to build that up um, and got to a point where we were, the new challenges for us was growth. Like how do we get past this kind of or over this barrier that's like we need more we need more customers to make more money, to hire more staff, but to have more customers we need more staff and we don't have the capital and blah, blah, blah. Like it was growth, it was classic growth problems. And one of the things I wanted to do was to move out of our office into, into somewhere else. And looking around South Auckland, there was literally 
no kind of middle step between working from home and having a full office floor. And that was too big of a jump for us as a small business. And trying to connect in with the different types of business support, it felt super disconnected. Um, you kind of didn't really know where to go for support. And even when you went, it was a little bit like they just sent you somewhere else or we can't do that for you. So that kind of put me on a little bit of a journey like, flip man, if that's what I'm experiencing, that's obviously what other people are experiencing. And I wonder why businesses are not growing or, or entrepreneurs are not growing in South Auckland or the energy seems to be on the city and the North Shore. Um, and like I kind of kept my connections with people at Auckland Council and I had a mentor at Auckland Council as well and within the Southern Initiative and kind of just through conversations I actually I came up with the concept I started scouting spaces I found a space and was like pretty much what I need is about 80k to make this work so I put together a pitch for services storytelling services for $80,000 and I took it in and pitched it and was just pretty much laughed out of the room um, which cracks me up now. I think everyone needs one of those laughed out of the room stories. Um, but it was just a matter of months later that this conversation re-emerged in the form of Te Hao Manukau. What is Te Hao Manukau now? So we, um, I guess I was drawn into some of the conversations within Auckland Council around what a space like this would look like. I think because I'd been poking and prodding a bit, then then TSI then responded to that. And I, I really take my hat off to them for, for being really responsive like that. Um, and that's kind of where the conversations began. We went through this process of kind of iterating what could a space look like, where would it be, who are the different partners involved, um, until the point where Auckland Council had a bit of a concept that they really liked and then they put it out through a what they call a procurement process that we then had to apply through um, and then be awarded the opportunity to be the partner within the space. And part of becoming the partner of running that, it's kind of like a, a more evolved co-working space, isn't it? Because there's those elements, but there are other kind of community foster, kind of creative, uh, you know, kicking things off, catalyzing kind of elements. Um, as part of that process, like, um, t- tell me about the crowdfunding. Because you use Takoha, which is like um, a, a different take on crowdfunding, isn't it? In order to tap the community to get the funds to get it going. So even with ATED and the Southern Initiative and all of these things, there's still that need to go to the community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing, this is the biggest initiative that I'd ever taken on. I think every time I did something, it was bigger and bigger. And so in order for us as Ngahere communities to take this on, we needed to come from my calculations with 150k. And I didn't have, like, any of that. And so... That was then the pursuit of, okay, how are we actually going to practically make this happen from our end? Councils have got their end. They've said what they're going to bring to the table. This is what we need to bring to the table. So we looked at some. um, We did take out a business loan for some of it, and then we thought, let's look at this crowdfunding. Like The timing was perfect, actually. So Takoha is a project by Pledge Me and Māori Women's Development Inc., which is the first... Uh, indigenous crowdfunding platform but it's essentially pledged me with a little bit more like holistic tikanga behind it Um, and so we got to be and through some of my interactions with Barry who was the financial um, lead at pledge me he kind of pulled me into the fray a little bit and the more we discussed it the more I thought actually this could be a really legitimate way for us to raise a portion of the the cash that we needed to get this project up and running, and so that was us. That was a it was a journey. It was a big um, it's a big project. If you've done crowdfunding before, it's it's quite a lot of work. It's hardcore sales in one form. You can say it. It's community building and getting people on board with your vision. It's sales, like <laughs> it's just a cooler version, I suppose. And and for me, sales is never something I'd, I've liked. 
I actually am not that bad at it. I, I've learned, but I hate salespeople. I hate people that come up to you and try and sell you something. I'm like, get out of, get away, get out of my face. Um, but I turned into a salesperson for like four weeks, and I almost hate, like, I hated myself for it by the end of it. But it was such a. I was actually just talking to the next cohort last night about our experience, and I was saying to them, I'm so proud to say that we have done a successful crowdfunding campaign, and that we've been a part of the Takoha journey. So engaging the community around the concept, around the fact that. Like for me, the main narrative for Te Hao Manukau or even for Ngahere communities is that our Māori and Pacifica people are so overrepresented in the negative statistics, yet I, I believe we are some of the most creative and entrepreneurial people in the world, the most courageous and adventurous. So how, what, like what can we do and how can we start to really draw that out and maximise that and play to those strengths? Mm-hmm. And that's the real driver for me and what that looks like as a co-working space, but that's kind of more the finer details and so that was the kind of story that we asked people to come on board with and we found lots of random ways to allow them to come on board anything from like sponsoring a chair so if you come into our space now you'll see people's names on chairs and stuff like that no so it was it was heaps of fun but it was hard work it's kind of bananas that it took that much to get a co-working space going uh in south auckland you know the the biggest part of Auckland. <laughs> like I know. I know. It's like the the biggest ratepayer base, the biggest part of Auckland, and mm. still, it's so. Uh, you, you know, the opportunity is just so unequally spread throughout a city. And you know, my my observations from um, going to Mount Roskill Grammar for, uh, for for high school for a few years and the like is that the people's parents were working three jobs. It wasn't a lack of hard work. It was a lack of opportunity to do work that actually paid and advanced. And then kids grew up seeing their parents working three jobs and getting paid crap and treated like crap and didn't have a lot of love for the system. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think that's something that that I've been, kind of been battling with, I suppose, through this whole journey that I've been on, is how do you, how do you like... I suppose, how do you get away from this feeling of it's so unfair to being more proactive about it? And like like, like I said before, like how do you just use what you've got? Like I, there's a Māori um, whakatauki that says, he kai kai there's food in my hands. And the whole concept is that everything that you need is, is within your reach or it's in your hands. And it might just be in seed form. Like it might be all you have is, is one little seed. All you have is a hundred bucks. But you can choose to use that in a way that will drive or move you towards where you want to be and I think that kind of really underpins kind of my approach to how we can like how we can teach some of those entrepreneurial skills to people whatever age they are whether they're still children or young people or whether they're older um, and to to be able to really be I guess proud of what you do have and proud of the the strengths that you have and the talents that you have and, and maximize that and not continue to be kind of pushed down by the the narrative that maybe the media puts on on South Auckland or or the expectations that people put on each other so yeah I'm really passionate about flipping that narrative and how's it going like how's the um how's the reception been in the community to this new kind of uh you know elevated co-working space that you're running yeah, it's been like, I feel like it's polarising. Like, on one hand, things have been incredible. Um, we've done some amazing things. People have been engaging really well. And then on the other hand, there's huge challenges. So it's a real interesting space to live in, like the highs and the lows of, of any entrepreneurship journey. I feel like it's maybe magnified a little bit more in this context. And so, I mean, one of the things that we've learned, so we opened in September. So we've been open for maybe eight months, seven to eight months now. One of the things we've learned is that like you can look at 
you can look at this two ways. You can look at it as a property management opportunity or you can look at it as a community and capacity building opportunity. And we kind of are looking at both. I've started using this hashtag property with purpose. Um, so there's a side of it where we're like, we just need people in the door that can pay the rent like, and pay help us pay the OPEX. But on the other side, if you fill it up with people that can pay their rent, you're still you're not really fixing anything. You're just creating the same thing again. People with the means can have it. People without the means can't. So that's the kind of conundrum that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. Um, so we've kind of like we've had lots of engagement and we've had lots of people come through. And what we've learned is that the, I guess the entrepreneurial and innovation ecosystem in South Auckland is at a really, really infant stage. So what we have to do is a whole bunch of work around education, capability building, capacity building. And so we're looking at, I guess, our business model. So Ngahira Communities is a social enterprise and that in itself is a huge challenge in New Zealand. But we're looking at our business model and thinking, is it best for us to make um, – this sustainable through the commercial avenues or is it better for us to make it sustainable through the program avenue where we're actually looking at building this ecosystem and investing in people and investing in programs and investing in opportunities so that in a couple of years time those that have the means are the ones that we actually intend to be in the space Mm. not the ones now like the lawyers and the accountants and, and all that sort of stuff so that's kind of our approach in the way that we're looking at it. Because I imagine it must be such a build, like, you know, the whole startup ecosystem and the whole idea of co-working spaces and accelerators and innovators and stuff, it's really new. It's, you know, it's a really new kind of thing. And when you're going into a place that hasn't physically even had the infrastructure before, to then, uh, yeah, take people through and, and, and teach them on that journey must be from, from starting from scratch. Do you have to have kind of programs, like accelerator programs, uh, to, to take people with the spark and help teach them? Yeah, I think I think you do. I think you do, but I mean, and and this is not a sustainable approach or anything. But I think for me, and this comes from the way that I was I was brought up, and I think the tikanga Māori that's within me, and I, I think that it ultimately comes with like with relationship. It comes with like a willingness to walk a journey alongside a person, like. And I learned that from working at Roscoe Youth Zone. Like you can, you can, you can have a person there, and you can go, "Here's a lawnmower, go make some money." But they're still going to go, "What do I do with it? How do I make money? How do I present myself? How do I blah blah blah?" Like there's the capability and the capacity and the education that they don't have that a lot of people might take for granted. The the networks and the access to people that might give them a hand up or give them an opportunity like that doesn't exist for a lot of people. You know, people are not growing up in families where. Um, dad ran a business or uncle ran a business or, you know, people are growing up in families where you work in a factory, you work three jobs, you know, you, you do that. People are hard working, but the skills you need for entrepreneurship, are, they still seem like a, a newer skill set or a different skill set that, that doesn't exist in abundance yet. Yeah, yeah let's talk about that because one of the, you know, part of the whole kind of like startup uh, thing is this fetishization of like, you know, fail, fail fast. Like you can fail if you are comfortable and you have the means to come back and you have access to more yeah, capital yeah, and yeah. Support. You can't fail if you've got everything on the line and you don't have a network to kind of tap. And so, capital, which is such a part of the startup world, uh, it, it runs in networks. Hmm. Absolutely. And I think, like, again, like I keep coming back to like, just look at what you've got, like, what have you got, and, and start from there. And like, it's almost like a repetition. We've got a building and we've got a bunch of staff. We've got a really cool network now. The fact that it's um, 
you know, driven by the, the Southern Initiative, which is Auckland Council, and driven by or supported by AT and Grid AKL. Like, even that, like, that's really huge. It's really cool to have that support. And then for us, I mean, we bring in our, our own networks within South Auckland, our own relationships. We can we can see the opportunities. We're, we're trying our best to lead the way and, and make a pathway for people to follow. And then to use, I guess, what we have within the building to say, you know, here's a space, come and try some stuff. It's it's a bit safer. You know, there's not a lot of, like I said, we're trying to look at how we can use the program side to fund the commercial side. So some of the new things we're looking at is, is just setting up a bunch of studios, like having a space just like, say, this. We're a bunch of creative storytellers, you know, people that love to talk or people that like to share what's going on. Like, let's just remove that barrier. Here's some access to some stuff because... I mean, I would say a good 100k in this room alone and just equipment that people were not going to have access to yet. If they had access to, I'm pretty sure some amazing stuff's going to come out of the creative capital that exists in South Auckland. So I think just being like really practical on how we can like, like I'm really frustrated with all the programs that have, this is the entry point. You must look like this. You enter here, you go through this process and then you pop out here and you look like that. Like that's just, I just feel like that's, not the right approach. I feel like you need to, and entrepreneurship is, is all over the place, but you need to just provide space for people to just do and be and and fail, but in an environment that's not going to ruin them. Mm. Yeah, like I guess you just said. What have, what have some of the highlights been since you've opened? Oh, there's so many, so many highlights. We had a couple of cool, like we managed to um, – this is super shallow but super cool. We managed to meet Prince Harry. <laughs> we took a um, mm-hmm. took a bunch of young people to meet. So he was going to meet young people, and I'm not young anymore. But I managed to squeeze my way in there. So that was really cool. And the cool thing is when we met Prince Harry, um, Jacinda Ardern was with him as well. And so we managed to chat to her, and she made this kind of promise. I don't know if she meant it or what, but she said, "You know, I'm going to come out and and visit you guys." And so, she, like ne- the next week, I was straight on emails like, "Hi, Jacinda, remember me?" Um, and invited her to come out to an event that we just started called Ngahere Talks. Um, and it took like a couple of months, but they finally got back and was like, yes, love to come. Here's the date that she's available. And so that was really awesome. So we managed to host her on the 1st of March this year um, and have a really cool conversation around creative futures. And we, we chose to focus on the fact that she's also the Minister of um, Arts, Culture and Heritage and, and I guess kind of push her buttons a little bit around what the government's doing around the creative capital that exists in South Auckland. So that was really cool. So Ngahiri Talks has been a really fun project for us to for us to do. Some of the other highlights... Oh, I'm trying to think. We ran at the just before Christmas last year. We ran a pop-up store in our space in Monaco, um, and that was a, a really cool experience to look at. Okay, who are the entrepreneurs that are in Monaco right now that are product-based? So they have some products they're either making or reselling um, within South Auckland, um, and we we touched base with about forty, which was really cool to see. They weren't all in South Auckland, but a majority, I'd say 80%. And out of that, about 21 of them decided to put their products in the store. So we ran a store for seven days. Um, and the seven days, we brought in about 9K, which was a pretty cool outcome for us. Um, and that, like, just that in and of itself was, like, kind of pulling out from within the community. Like, who who's out there? Who's doing some stuff? What can we do together to see how we can kind of, you know, like you're trying to sell stuff at a market stall or... Or through your Facebook page or whatever, but what will happen if we kind of pull everyone's 
um, products and, and go from there. So that was really cool. And that's kind of given us some really awesome insights around how we can use the space moving forward as well, what ways we can add value to entrepreneurs that are out there um, through a physical space in a really cool location. Yeah, there's been heaps of there's been heaps more highlights. And a couple of questions that we ask everyone on on the podcast. One is like you know along the way, like you've made a whole lot of things in places that aren't typically that easy to make kind of entrepreneurial things happening. Like bureaucracies are great, but they're not the easiest place for nimble kind of entrepreneurship. Like along the way, like has it been hard on you? Like have people told you you're crazy to try? Like how do you how do you keep going? I thought about this and I was like, no one's told me to my face. <laughs> it doesn't mean they haven't said it. I think you definitely you definitely come up against the tall poppy syndrome though, all the time. Like you and I feel like like I, I kinda came to this understanding a while ago that a really good KPI of success is how many haters you got. Because as soon as you're like visible enough for people to hate on you, then it means you're doing something that is either pushing their buttons or catching their attention. And so I feel like that's a part of the journey and, and you have those people. And it's really interesting. Like sometimes they come from places you don't expect. Um, but it's kind of it's got to be like water off a duck's back. Eh? You just, you just got to keep going. And I think for me the, the driver has never been to be rich or to make a lot of money or – if anything, it might just be my own kind of selfish ambition to just try lots of things and <laughs> and a, a little bit of an addiction to just starting things and activating on ideas. But I don't know, it seems to be working. I think it's the more you do it, the more you learn. Learning how to work the system is really important as well, I think. Like like I said before, I, I think perspective is, is really important. How you see constraints or opportunities really determines how you can actually work them and, and how you can respond to them. And, you know, like, there's, there's, there's loads of opportunities out there. Um, I think of one example where the Ministry of Youth Development gave us $10,000 to support the, um, like, something quite, like they call, like, youth voice, like, what do young people want in that community? And we just took that $10,000 and set up a screen printing business. Like, and they were stoked because there's all these kids, like, I think one of the things we did to make them super happy is, uh, Wesley Intermediate School, which is right next door, Desile One School, they couldn't afford PE uniforms. What we did is we got the kids that ran a competition. The kids all designed their uh, logo for their house name. They have really cool house names as well. Um, and then every single kid, they had to bring their own T-shirt, but we bought them through the screen printing thing and they all printed their own PE uniform. And that was really cool. So that keeps like Ministry of Youth Development happy. And now we've got all the equipment and the setup we need to be like to keep the program going. So I think, yeah, you got to... You gotta be a hustler. You gotta be creative. You gotta be resourceful. Yeah. And aside from like your example, like what advice do you give to kids or, or, or young people or anyone who's wanting to kind of like make something new happen? What advice do I give to them? I mean, I think one of the things about me that I know is I I, I like to encourage people and I really like to believe in the best in them. Sometimes I can push it too far, but I think I think that's what I do. I. I just choose to see them for who they can be and, and try and kind of, in a sense, draw that out in them like or say that to them so that they start to believe it and and help them understand that the quirky things about them are not negatives. The you know the, the natural tendencies they have are not embarrassing. They're actually the way you're wired and they're the secret to your success. So I think that's the thing that is my main yeah encouragement to them. And as a final thought, how do you define success? Like, uh, what 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 would be um, what would be the time for you to stop making things happen? Like, when would you? What, what what's success for you? Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. I think 
I think for me success is just like I find that it comes in being really comfortable in who you are and that can look lots of different ways for different people but I think for my journey I feel super successful now even though these seem these seemingly insurmountable mountains in front of me because I'm doing what I love I'm using the skills that I have I'm challenging myself on the daily I'm trying to get better at the things I'm not that good at and better at the things I am good at I'm helping people I feel like my grandparents would be proud of what I do like those are the things I think to me that that help me feel successful and one day I hope that will turn into like a nice a nice big house and lots of holidays overseas but I think that can come in different ways as well yeah. That's so cool. Uh, thank you so much, Manu <laughs> Yuri, for joining us to talk about the journey with Nahiri Communities and Teha or Manako. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks, Simon. Thank you so much, Tina Tiller, for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. Awesome. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by the spin off and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.